think editorializing on interesting facts is sort of like the gist of it. What does factual even mean anyway? I mean, it certainly means different things to different people. Yes. So, okay, I hit record. I hit record. Okay, we're going. Sweet. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. <laughs> Built-in microphone, semicolon. Did you say microphone? Microwave. <laughs> I was looking at the word microphone when I said that. <laughs> um, Built-in microwave. This is this is not that is not our podcast. That may be a podcast, but that is not our podcast. Right. Our podcast is built in microwave. Right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's go with uh, semicolon um, polka dots. Oh. Polka dots. Yes. I like this. So I'm writing it down. I thought Welcome be- to Polka Dots. Welcome to Polka Dots. Um I thought before we get into uh into the actual crux of the discussion where we 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 wanted to talk about um the artist uh is it Yayoi Kasuma? Kasuma, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's uh Yayoi Kusama. Yeah, Yayoi Kusuma. Yeah. Anyway, before we talk about her um yeah i didn't realize polka dots are called polka dots because um it seems likely that i the term originated because of the popularity of the polka dance around the same time that the pattern became fashionable and at that time um according to the uh oed the oxford english dictionary um and this is a quote from the dictionary on account of the popularity of the dance polka was prefixed as a trade name to articles of all kinds um so like the the polka curtain band or no there's a polka curtain band for looping up curtains polka gauze polka hat uh polka dot um wow yeah so um yeah i like who knew I had no idea. I had no idea as well. Um, anyway. I love polka dots. Yeah. Are polka dots defined by like specific parameters? Like do they have to be spaced a particular distance apart? Can it be a random smattering of dots or does it have to be? Well, according to Wikipedia, um, they are, it's a pattern consisting of, of an array of large filled circles of the same size. Um, okay. So typically it's a repeating pattern. I, I assume, I mean, I think, I think that can obviously yeah. be stretched a little bit, but the idea is that they're generally all the same. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's hmm. interesting. Yeah. So, is, it must have been that the dot pattern was used in polka costumes. Um, n- no, no, I don't. I think it's just it was a fixed. I mean, my understanding it's a little bit confusing. Um, I mean, there's a painting. So on the Wikipedia website about polka dot, mm-hmm. as of march 18th 2021 um there's uh basile's 1867 painting family reunion um containing two women in polka dot blue polka dot dresses Ah, um yes i see it and according to the oed the oxford english dictionary um it was 1898 when that popularity of the polka dance was going on um so but, nobody necessarily used polka dots for polka dresses but polka dots became popular around the same time that polka dancing was yes and, yeah and so, so they, they became referred melded. to um yeah hmm. and i'm looking to see uh so the polka dance was first introduced to prague ballrooms in 1835 hmm. um okay so yeah, I'm guessing right around the turn of the century is when when it became very popular, and then that's when it became reference to the that pattern. 
I'm I'm assuming. Okay. I it's a little bit. Uh, Carolina Herrera also used polka dots a lot in her in her fashion designs. I recall, and it says, "Oh, she's Venezuelan." Carolina Herrera is Venezuelan. I did not know that. I did not know that either. Yeah. Yeah. They've so been, polka dots are great. So anyway, um, let's pick it up. We're like like listening to dead air as we're basically like staring at this like Wikipedia hole. So what we're talking about? Well, I'm mesmerized by all yes. These polka no, dots. no, me too. I'm just imagine. I'm just coming back to my senses oh. that we're trying to do a podcast. So. Um, so yes, so we the whole reason we got onto the topic of polka dots is because this morning I yeah. read a headline in some bullshit thing online that was like Yayoi Kusama had died in nineteen or, or in twenty nineteen, and I was like, what? That can't? Did, how did I not know that she was no longer living? Like I love her shit, uh, and so we were gonna do a podcast about that, but she's not dead. So I don't know what the hell I read, but it was wrong, and uh, she's still around, and she's like ninety one years old. And she's making dots yeah. like crazy. And this is the amazing thing. I So she, in 1977, or no, in 1973, she returned to Japan. Um, she's mm-hmm. Japanese, if you don't put that together from her name. Um, yes, right. And she checked her, in, and in 1977, she checked herself into a hospital for the mentally ill and she took up permanent residence. She's still there. That's where yes. she lives. Yes. Uh, voluntarily. Yes. Um, yes. Or by choice. I mean, you know, those are synonymous in this instance. Um, and I love this quote. She's often quoted as saying, and I really like can relate to this. She says, if it were not for art, I would have killed myself a long time ago. Ah, no kidding. And uh, yeah, it, that definitely... Like I have a lot of uh, sympathy or empathy around that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. So it's crazy. Like I, th- her life is really interesting. Um, <laughs> I mean, just really, really interesting. Uh, she grew up, she was born in 1929 and uh, she was, uh, she kind of grew up around like plant nursery and seed farm. Um that's what her yeah. parents basically that was their trade um she's she uh, yeah yeah she was uh ever since she was a little kid she had um like visions like she's a visionary artist which is what's so cool yeah um she described having vivid hallucinations and flashes of light and dense fields of dots yeah and so she's actually like I don't think that what she does with her dots necessarily has anything to do with the fact that a polka dot pattern existed. Right. Like she's just drawing or she's just creating. She doesn't draw. She, she creates all kinds of stuff like installations and textiles. And um, she is just making evident what she sees already, which is really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And so her kind of, if you're not familiar with her work, um, by about 1950, she was uh, producing a lot of these um, paintings in various medias like watercolor, uh, gouache, oil, um, mostly on paper, but basically covering like all kinds of surfaces, walls, floors, canvases, um, household objects later, uh, naked assistants. Um, that was kind of a big thing in the 60s, uh, painting these these sort of polka dot patterns on, mm-hmm. um, on various people. Um, she referred to them so these vast fields of polka dots according to wikipedia she calls them infinity nets mm. um that were taken directly from her hallucinations according to this article yeah um and they're uh they're pretty fascinating like if you haven't really had a chance to look at her work um they're very immersive. Like they're large scale installations. Yep. Um, like entire rooms covered in dots. Or like she has she has these installations called infinity rooms that are mirrored rooms with black floors and black ceilings, and you stand in between the mirrors and then there are lights and dots suspended everywhere. 
So it feels kind of like they remind me a little bit of like deep, deep space exploration photos where you see lots and lots of galaxies from very far away, like the Hubble or like the um, the the deep field. What's it called? Yeah, the Hubble deep field images. Yeah. Yeah. And it her stuff kind of reminds me of that. The infinity rooms anyway, because it just looks like a void mm-hmm. that goes on forever full of like points of light. Yeah. Yeah. They're really amazing. Like it's, uh, and she covers like all these different interesting shapes and forms. Like there's, um, I'm looking at a photo of these like kind of tentacle like grass kind of massive things covered in with a red field background and white polka dots and Mm. then set in a room with white, white background with red polka dots. Um, I mean, it's just kind of amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't always, she doesn't necessarily follow a geometric pattern either. Like, um, a lot of her stuff looks kind of organic in a way where there's larger and smaller dots and they may be arranged regularly or irregularly depending on the shape of the object that they're superimposed on. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, yeah. They're very colorful sometimes. Sometimes they're more monochromatic, like just two colors. Um, it yeah yeah it's really diverse um and definitely worth having a little look look at um yeah it's just really interesting uh, i like this quote from her a polka dot has the form of the sun which is a symbol of the energy of the whole world and our living life and also the form of the moon which is calm round soft colorful senseless and unknowing polka dots become movement polka dots are a way to infinity yeah that's a good quote so it, I'm reading here that when she was a kid, she, and I think you might have been about to say this, that she worked in a military factory where she sewed parachutes. And she spent a lot of time during air raids um, in darkness. And so she could hear things going on outside, but she was not necessarily like fully interacting with that i'm not i i don't know how to describe this so like she was involved during wartime with everything that was going on but she was also she also describes herself as like enclosed darkness so she she says her childhood was greatly influenced by events of the war and that's when she started to value notions of personal and creative freedom so it's interesting to me that like she was hiding away in darkness while there was all of this like conflict and explosions and bright light and planes flying overhead in the daytime and all this stuff and she sort of like retreated into this this sort of hallucinatory existence. Mhm. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it says um the Wikipedia article says that when she was 10 years old, she also began or she began to experience vivid hallucinations, um, which she described as flashes of lights, auras or dense fields of dots. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. She talks about uh, hallucinating flowers that spoke to her um, mm-hmm. and patterns and fabric that she's uh, that that she would stare at that would come to life multiplying and engulfing or expunging her. Yeah. It seems like she has these hallucinations that start in, in one way or like there's something that kicks them off or like triggers them. And then it sort of blooms into this thing that becomes all encompassing. Like the hallucination isn't just like, Oh, I saw an object in front of me or that leprechaun's not really there. It's like, she sees like these patterns that just engulf her whole sort of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I would be very interesting um, to talk to her. I, I, we could have done maybe more prep and maybe watch some interviews or something, but um, yeah. anyway, something to do after well, we thought she was dead. So yeah, we were we trying to be dead. timely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she moved to America in, um well it looks like in like 1957 Mm -hmm. um she said that japanese society was too small too servile too feudalistic and too scornful of women and before leaving to come to the united states she destroyed many of her work many of her early works so she landed in seattle 
Um, she corresponded with Georgia O'Keeffe, which is really interesting. Oh, interesting. Um, she became a leader in the avant-garde movement, which is not surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, and she re- oh, this is interesting. I don't know anything about this, but now I want to know more. She received praise for her work from the anarchist art critic Herbert Reed. Interesting. English English art historian, poet, literary critic, and philosopher, uh, best known for numerous books on art. Interesting. Um, so she was like really fucking prolific. Like she makes she cranks out so much work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just fantastic. Like uh, I mean, uh, basically, her whole life has just been her being consumed by her her art yeah she reminds me of like a biological machine that cranks out polka dots like depending on what input she has the output is a little bit different but it's always dots and light points of light and um like she she started doing a lot of art on stuff like so she would take a chair and cover it in what in her hallucinatory polka dots right or she would um like she did shoes she did a ladder she um she like manages to crank these things out it's almost like breathing like the polka dots are just a function of who she is right yeah um and so like many great prolific artists like the idea that she could produce different type of art or like selectively choose to suddenly become like a classics painter or like a like a portrait artist or something would be very strange because like I don't even the fact that she's an artist isn't because it seems like she sought to become one it's just that she is right right yeah and it's interesting um I mean, a lot like a lot of art, I mean, or a lot of artists lives or people's lives in general. It's like, how do you interface with with society? Mm-hmm. Like the concept of like what it means to be an artist versus like an engineer or something else. It's like these are um, great for language when we're talking about like, you know, if I say, oh, you're an artist that may convey something. But typically I find that means like the problem with calling someone somebody an artist is that it seems to be so individual and its meaning can just mean so many different things it's not like yeah it's not like talking about like other kinds of professions um but uh yeah it's interesting like i was just also reading this uh and this is kind of fits in with the whole thing about it being a women's history month um Mm -hmm. so it says here that in the 60s she was um so she was in new york in the 60s mm-hmm. and she was making art and she was um she was trying to she had some she was she did not like basically she wasn't making a, a financial profit from her work or like even really a sustainable life for herself from right. her artwork and um and she many men male artists copied her creativity which made them famous this according to the wikipedia article yeah um but not kasuma um and she was not able to make money that she believed she deserved which i think she's probably not the only one um and that became so extreme her frustration with that became so extreme that she attempted suicide and that was in 1966 um, yeah, that's got to be frustrating because she moved out of Japan specifically because she felt limited culturally as a woman and then came here, didn't get paid for any of her shit, and a bunch of men stole all of her designs and got rich and famous from them. Yeah, which, you know, is not not surprising, but terrible. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so that's out an outrage, but she survived that, yeah. and um, and so then she started oh, doing this. Yeah. yeah, what? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say so. Um, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so she started doing these, uh, organizing these, uh, what is described as outlandish happenings um, in places like Central Park and Brooklyn Bridge. 
that often involved the 60s were like full of happenings right yeah yeah that was the thing right um everything was a happening in the 1960s like i often wonder um like just a little tangent i wonder how like how our view of the past is warped by also the growth of media right because the 60s ah. the 60s saw this explosion of like tv channels and radio and like national media and the ability to um like convey messages like across the nation and everyone was consuming it right yeah. um like the 50s were the start of that early but by the 60s things and like by the 70s it was like oh now there's like national television everybody you know the whole dynamic of elections had changed um mm-hmm. and so i often wonder if our view of the 60s is like you know, in many ways, it's like maybe today more of that, like it's more crazy and more cool shit's going on. The problem is, is that so much of it's going on. And because we're so over blasted with national media or just media in general, um, yeah. our perception of it isn't the same, right? Like it's different when everyone is basically trying to, you know, keep up with the Joneses and living in their, like their nuclear family home and the TV comes on in the evening and some newscaster condemns a hippie for doing some radical outrageous thing. (laughs) And then everyone's talking about it. Right. Like, as opposed to now where it's like most, that shit just doesn't make the news, even though it's, you know, kind of going on. So I don't know. I'm always curious, like what the, um, or, or even just like maybe that shit was already going on. It just wasn't in the news. Like a lot of it could have been happening back in the 30s and 20s. I mean, we read about stuff where there are accounts of it, but that's the stuff that made it through the filters and the like the people who bothered to write it down and, you know, their perceptions. Right. And, you know, I mean, you read books like The Great Gatsby and you're like, okay, well, there was some radical shit going on there, but also like it's just the story of some rich asshole and like not maybe reflective of like actual culture. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> Yes. So, um, uh, um, so yeah, she did happenings. It says Central Park, Broken Bridge, um, involving nudity. I love protesting the, the Vietnam War. Yeah, I love the title of this. Um, so there was uh, an event at the MoMA called the Grand Orgy to Awaken the Dead at the MoMA, nineteen sixty nine. Which took place in the sculpture garden at the at Museum of Modern Art. Um, it was an unannounced event. Eight performers under Cosima's uh, direction removed their clothing, stepped nude into a fountain, and assumed poses mimicking the nearby sculptures by Picasso uh, at, at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that it was unscheduled. I love like when I was in when I was studying at the university of minnesota i took a comparative literature class and there are some one of the student teachers or student professors whatever was um he was in a group locally called the praxis group which is like this avant-garde sort of weird performance art troupe Uh and they (laughs) they went to the walker which is a modern art museum in minneapolis and it's super fantastic and were kicked out of the walker for being too (laughs) avant-garde And this makes me think of that, like these institutions that like are supposed to feature amazing art and they're just so uncreative about how to do it. Like, like they stop art from happening Uh (laughs) because it's not the art that they put there. It's it's just so funny. Um. (laughs) That's very much like the like, hey, everybody come do this thing. No, not like that. Right. No, you're doing it wrong. You're doing I want it you wrong. to do it like this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Okay. So, she <laughs> she stuck it to the MoMA. That's pretty great. Yep. Um, And then what happened? It doesn't... So, apparently that... Well, it was noteworthy. It doesn't say whether she was, like, kicked out and told never to come back or anything, but... Yeah. I mean, there's... um, I, You know, I would encourage you to have a look at this Wikipedia article. It's definitely um, not you, Meg. I mean... Well, obviously you as well, but you if you're listening, you, right. the listener, you people, you people, you know what you hey. should do. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, right. you know, it's noteworthy. Uh, it's yeah. So there were, um, uh, and there's an article about it actually, uh, in reference, where did it go? And, um, it was written in a book, 
so this was taken this was directly taken from a book called uh into performance japanese women artists in new york um sweet yeah and so i'm just looking at the um uh yeah it's just kind of um oh here we go let's see so in the book uh So the performer stuck poses, um, which I'd said before. So there, you know, there she is at the MoMA, um, impromptu, got some performers to come and take their clothes off and step into the fountain and strike these poses. Um, and then uh, under uh, Kasuma's supervision, the performer stuck poses and then um, calling sculptures dead. Uh Kasuma intended to comically undermine the museum as an institution that warehoused old art as opposed to the live art of her performance. Um, although the performance, although the performance went on only for a short time until security officers stopped it, a documentary photo- photograph was largely featured in the first page of the New York daily news. Although the <laughs> critics at the time did not take this performance seriously, Kasuma's attack on the art uh, on the artistic institution was uh, revered by both her contemporaries and later artists who shared her criticism of artistic authorities. So there you go. There's the bigger story. And this is taken directly from, um, again, that book was uh, Into Performance, Japanese Women Artists in New York yeah. by uh, Midori Yashimoto. Cool. So that looks like an interesting book as well. Um, yeah. Fucking cool shit. Um, like, so, she opened a a gay social club too. That's interesting. Um, I didn't. When was that? Nineteen sixty-eight. It says <clears throat> she presided over the happening. A happening. Another happening. Ned. Another happening. Oh, another happening. This, <laughs> this happening was called homosexual wedding, and it was at the Church of Self Obliteration at thirty-three Walker Street in New York. Um, she, apparently, Fleetwood Mac and Country Joe and the Fish. Yeah, at the Fillmore in New York City, and so she opened naked painting studios and a gay social club at the same time. And the nudity, like, totally disgraced her family back in Japan. Uh huh. Um, which isolated her, and then she attempted suicide again. Oh, that's rough. Obviously, did not succeed that time either. Yeah, thankfully. I mean, for us, but I, you know, who's uh, to say? Yeah, what's it's interesting here because they. She also, before that, two years before that, she was in the Venice Biennale, um, and she uh, she pissed them off, too. I think she was too avant-garde for them as well, because she installed a ton of, like, spheres outside uh-huh. in a, a work called Narcissus Garden, and then, uh, if you don't know, Narcissuses are flowers, and that's how the installation of her art is spelled Narcissus, like the flower. Uh-huh. So, but also it was made out of mirrored spheres. So as soon as it was installed, she got dressed up in a gold kimono uh-huh. and she was selling each individual sphere for the equivalent of $2, 1200 lira. Um, and then the Biennale organizers were like, wait a minute. And like put a stop to it because, because they hadn't, <laughs> because it wasn't their idea basically. <laughs> um, so, it was uh, it's the article here says it was as much about the promotion of the artist through the media as it was an opportunity to offer a critique of the mechanization and commodification of the art market. That's that's amazing. Yes. Um and yeah, so she uh she continued to work in New York um and she had a relationship with uh an artist named Donald Judd, but um that apparently ended and she became a platonic she initiated a platonic relationship with an another artist named joseph cornell who is a surrealist and um they were really close until he died until in 1972 so um she did have people that were like it seems like islands of sanity or refuge for her yeah even if yeah. even if her work was upsetting literally everybody else which like that's how you know if you're doing good work is if people are like <laughs> right i have opinions about this great mission accomplished done <laughs> yeah yeah so um apparently after the 1960s early 1970s when joseph cornell died she moved back to japan 
and she wasn't doing very well. She was not in good health. She kind of changed formats a little bit and started writing novels and short stories and poetry. Um, and then in 1977, she is when she checked herself into the hospital for the mentally ill and, and began living and where she continues to reside today. Um, yeah, she, her studio. Yeah, her studio is just a little bit away from the the hospital, so it's kind. You know, she keeps a studio just like other working artists, and she goes between her home and her studio. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, i I can imagine that having like having a set of needs and resources that meld in one location is probably super helpful to her continuing to make art yeah yeah um yeah and i think that's pretty awesome um like she's in a very supportive environment for her to continue just expressing herself in the way that she expresses yeah 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 it's cool it is very cool um holy shit though like i i love how you know the wikipedia article obviously only really touches on like a couple of of like highlights um i mean you can imagine like it's pretty interesting the kind of work she was doing because she was really like looking to interact with the art world like Mm -hmm. she was in new york and like looking like she was going to the moma and she was like trying to do these things and be like hey like art's still happening yeah you guys look over here like and everybody's like "Eh, you're doing it wrong your work reminds me of these guys I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> How many times do you think somebody said that to her? Like, oh, no, your your work is a little derivative of this guy. I imagine that was like the most upsetting. And like, I totally get why she was just like at wit's end. Um, yeah. It's nuts, too, because I've seen, you know, how many times have you seen polka dots in your life? Like, they're everywhere, right? They're a super commonly used pattern. Yeah. Um, They're used in all kinds of different applications for, like, industrial and printing and all kinds of things that have nothing to do with artistic anything, really. Yeah. Um, But, like, her work somehow, even though it's polka dots or just dots, if you will. Yeah. Is, like, instantaneously recognizable. Yeah. Anytime I see her work, I'm like, oh, that's Kusama's work. Like, yeah, I know that work. Um, like she's got just so much. She puts dots on everything. And yet it, whenever you see them, it's just like there's something about it that just jumps out at me as belonging to her. Like it's it's like I don't know how else to describe it. It's also interesting. It's so recognizable. It's so recognizable. And it's interesting to see um, her, like, her approach to things where it's just like everything is fair game to to incorporate into her work. Like, mm-hmm. she's like, I'm just going to get a person over here. Take your clothes off. I'm painting on you now. Like, I mean, not much different than that. Um, yeah the way that she creates it because she's like this is part of that immersive like experience she's creating where it's just like like all of her work is like like you're you can see through her eyes a little bit to see how Mm -hmm. she's experiencing the world Um, yeah which makes makes like her big installations are like totally weird liminal spaces for sure yeah yeah i was just gonna say like she's definitely she has experienced a lot of very interesting liminal spaces and has like continued to like create them around her. Um, Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Um, So I also, so I didn't realize this. um, She really wasn't well recognized as an artist until like early 2000. Yeah. So here's like, I, I, I didn't, I took a guess at this moments ago, but yeah. now I'm reading further down in where it says revival, 1980s to present. And it says her organically abstract paintings of one or more, one or two colors, the Infinity Net series, which she began upon arriving in New York, garnered comparisons to the work of Jackson Pollock, Mark Rothko, and Barnett Newman. 
Like, motherfucker, she predated all of them. Yeah. Like, ugh, whatever. So she left New York. It says here, practically forgotten as an artist. And then there was a retrospective that was put on in 1989, I think. Yes, 1989. And that kind of like regenerated some interest. She also had, uh, she also went back to the Venice Biennale in 1993 uh-huh. and did a big, a big mirrored room there. Um, and she wore like a magician's outfit. Like, I love that she dresses up for the occasion and yes, yeah, suitable attire, you know? Yes. Um, and she did a self-portrait that's like this enormous pumpkin with black dots all over it, which is super fucking cool. Um, I, I really like that pumpkin. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so she kept, she was doing more and more things. I think, I think the deal really is that when she was creating these sort of installations is when she became... I think it's when people were able to interact with her art in a way that was memorable to them. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to imagine uh, the installations. um, I mean, like the thing about those fixed, like having a, having an um, happening is it becomes very personal, which is great. It becomes very personal for the people who get to experience it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is harder to convey that later to a larger audience um i mean especially when you have security guards coming over and telling you you can't do art in an art museum yeah it's (laughs) genius great right um yeah i think um i think the first time i heard about her was when she did one of her infinity mirror rooms Mm -hmm. and i i saw it because it reminded me of some other art that I've seen in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's what got my attention because I thought, Oh, has this artist that I'm aware of otherwise moved their art from a place where I'm familiar with it to an inside of like a museum, which would be really weird. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, it's a completely different person. It's this woman. And then I, that's when I started to really get into her stuff. I think she's just great. I'd like everything she does. I'm like, yes, of course. That's exactly how that should look. You're right. genius. Right. um she she had an installation where was it was she at the smithsonian i think she was at the smithsonian too i'm trying to see here if i can find oh this is interesting okay so um she made in on february 25th 2017 her Installation, All the Eternal Love I Have for the Pumpkins. Um, It was one of six components to her infinity rooms at the Hirschhorn Museum. And it was temporarily closed for three days following damage to one of the glowing pumpkin sculptures. It was filled with over 60 pumpkin sculptures. It was 13 square feet, the room. So very small. Yeah. And it was one of the museum's most popular attractions ever. Interesting. Um, yeah, they said that like over 8,000 visitors came between the opening and the date of its closing when there was the damage that occurred. Yeah. Um. So like 8,000 individual people crammed into the tiny room that was only 13 square feet and 60 pumpkins. Right. Um. That's amazing. Yeah. So... The the infinity mirror exhibits became kind of like popular, you know, over yeah. time. Yeah. And then uh, she's apparently museum visitors shared thirty four thousand images of the exhibition to their Instagram accounts, and social media posts using the hashtag infinite kusama garnered over three hundred thirty million impressions, as reported by the Smithsonian. So there we go. That's what their involvement was. Yeah. Um. So. Like it's, uh, she's gotten all of this exposure. Like sometimes I feel as though, like the art world doesn't do a very good fucking job. Like everybody's heard of like Damien Hirst and like all these people who do like dumb art that's big and like bellicose and like nobody forgets. It. Everybody's heard the name Banksy, you know? Like, right. 
I just feel like because there's penises involved, people are expected to remember their names. You know? Yeah. As opposed to like people who are visionary fucking amazing artists who find the edges of the things and push and just get overlooked because they're women. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I have such a terrible memory of like people's names that I don't remember any of them whether they have a penis or not. But um Yeah. But I can't I I don't disagree with you. Like I think that there's definitely um I mean, is it worse or better than any other other sort of industry as it's far as the like, same problem yeah it's the same problem right um in a different setting right so uh yeah that's a i really i really like the, the titles that she gives her work yes yes they're really good all the eternal love i have for the pumpkins yeah infinity mirror one with eternity yayoi kusama in the hertorn collection Infinity Mirrored Room, Dancing Lights That Flew Up to the Universe, 2019. That one might be my favorite. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is interesting. A curator, Mika Yoshitake, has stated that Kusama's work on display is meant to immerse the whole person into Kusama's accumulations, obsessions, and repetitions. Um, the infinite repetitive works were originally meant to eliminate Kusama's intrusive thoughts, but now she shares it with the world, which is really interesting. Like instead of instead of the focus being the forcing inward of all of these hallucinations, she just like reverses them and shares them with everybody. I love that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. Kusama's lack of feeling and control throughout her life made her either consciously or subconsciously want to control how others perceive time and space when entering her exhibits. Um, art is a coping mechanism. Art as a coping FCBM, art as a coping mechanism. Right? Yeah. We need to, maybe we need to start a little series on that, on little yeah. different ways. Can, that art as a coping that idea is making it on the list. Art yeah. as coping mechanisms um so i uh i really like the next thing that they mention here um walking piece which is a performance that was documented in a series of color slides and she walked along the streets of new york in a kimono while holding a parasol uh-huh um it like it, it, but it wasn't actually a parasol. It was a black umbrella that was painted white outside and decorated with fake flowers. And she walked down unoccupied streets and then turned and cried without reason and eventually walked away and vanished from view. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. So, um, the performance, it says, through the association of the kimono, involves the stereotypes that Asian American women continue to face. Uh, <laughs> so great. I <laughs> I feel like this woman is experiencing all of these incredible things, and we only get to like have a portion of it. That even though the like this vast amount of art comes pouring out of her, it's just like this tiny, tiny portion of what it must be like to have the experience of being her right yeah yeah it's just so great yeah um i recall also that she had some crossover into fashion um yeah like i think i remember seeing some of her work in the context of like high fashion um Probably even before I realized who she was, I must have thought at the time that she was a fashion designer. In yeah, in two thousand nine, uh, she designed a handbag-shaped cell phone entitled "Handbag for Space Travel: My Doggy Ring Ring." <laughs> oh yes, awesome, great! A, a pink dotted one? phone in an accompanying in an accompanying dog-shaped holder, and a red and white dotted oh. phone inside. A mirrored dotted box dubbed Dots Obsession Full Happiness with Dots. 
for the Japanese mo- mobile communication giant uh, KDDI Corporation. Um, yes, I would like one full happiness with dots, please. Fucking amazing. Yeah. God. I yeah. Apparently, her- she had pop pop-up shops where this where her stuff was selling around the world that's really interesting that's kind of amazing yeah she digs on mark jacobs yeah apparently respects him that's cool she wrote a book in 1988 called uh woodstock phallus cutter oh my god um Ooh, double suicide at sakura kazuka yeah, interesting. 1989. I wonder Angels what her... in Cape Cod. She's written all kinds of books. Yeah. She does sculpture, yep. monstrous flowers and plants. Um, <clears throat> she does tulips, spotted dogs. She designed a town sneaker styled bus, which she titled Mitsutama Ranbu, Wild Polka Dot Dance. Fantastic. And whose route travels through her hometown. Uh, Can you imagine seeing the bus that you design drive by every day? That would make me so happy. That would make me pretty happy. Yeah. There's my bus. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, she has just like, oh, oh my God. She did an illustration work. Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. What? Yep. Oh man, there's an ISBN number and everything. That's fantastic. Lewis Carroll's Alice Adventures in Wonderland. I'm gonna have to buy this book, obviously. Yeah. Um I like she's th- just got She's got a lot going on. Ass loads of installations. Writing. Wow. So much stuff. Anyway, she's amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> She's just so like marvelous and <clears throat> her stuff is so amazing to behold. I hope like someday in the aftertimes we can go see an installation of hers before she dies. <laughs> she made a she collaborated uh on a piece with Peter Gabriel. Oh, fabulous. In um in 1993 uh on an installation in Yokohama. It's interesting. Mm. She has a museum in Tokyo. There's a museum of her stuff. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's right. It opened in 2017. Is that right? Or is that? Uh, yes, 2017. She, ah, the MoMA in 1998 held a retrospective of her work. Apparently, they just needed some time to warm up to it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they made any mention of, uh, of her experience in the fountains. Um, sheepishly yeah uh she was here but we weren't ready for her right (laughs) we hadn't gotten clued in yet oh she also partnered with hirshhorn museum and sculpture garden to make her 2017 infinity mirror rooms accessible to visitors with disabilities or mobility issues and uh Included uh, visiting the exhibition um, with a 360-degree virtual reality headset that allowed people to experience every aspect of the rooms as if they were actually walking through them. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. Oh, man, this is amazing. In the... Her work has performed strongly at auction. Great, considering none of that money goes to her. (laughs) Probably. Top prices for her work are for paintings from the 50s and 60s. As of 2012, her work was the highest turnover of any living woman artist. In November 20, 2008, Christie's sold a 1959 white infinity net painting formerly owned by Donald Judd for $5.1 million. <clears throat> then a record for a living female artist. In comparison, the highest price for a sculpture from her New York years is 72,000 pounds, fetched in 1965... Um, wool, pasta, paint, and hanger assemblage golden macaroni jacket. (laughs) Fantastic. Golden macaroni jacket was only $147,000, but 
an infinity net painting that a bunch of other people have owned already is 5.1 million um yeah crazy so well that's amazing oh people have people reference her in pop culture all the time so super chunk wrote a song yoko ono cites her as an influence uh, um there is a performing arts center that is entirely dotted in the uh, on their facade of the outside of the building uh-huh um in her hometown um the boy least likely to made song tributes Nels Klein Singers dedicated a track. Magnolia Pictures released a biographical documentary. Awesome. Oh my God. I'm watching that later. Kusama, Infinity. It was released on September 7th, 2018. So, oh, and Viv Clicquot created a limited edition bottle and sculpture in September 2020. See, she's like making art right now. She's like, whatever. It's fine. Just drink some fucking champagne. Drink some fucking champagne. <laughs> I mean, champagne is like the drink of Kusama because, like, champagne has little dots all over in it, too. Uh huh. Oh, that's perfect. How delightful. That's awesome. Yeah. So she's great and not dead. <laughs> yes, and not dead, which is also awesome. <laughs> Check her shit out <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> Go do it. It right now, right now. <laughs> um,. Uh. Oh, crazy. So, okay, I have, uh, let's do a little housekeeping. So if you've been listening and you want to spout some thoughts to us, you can always get a hold of us. You can email our executive assistant, Dana. Um, her email address is dana at fcbm.io. Send her an email. She'd love to hear from you. She'll get you in touch with uh, Meg or I, um, and we'll share your thoughts and we'll read about them and either write back or talk about it on the podcast or whatever we do. Um, it's true. Also, so remember when we were talking about, um, we did that podcast uh, on uh, the Pantone bullshit because they would create the color of the day. And That's then, right. and we were um, rightfully kind of incensed that make like having a, or sorry, they do a color of the year and having a single color out of context is kind of pointless, right? Like you can't. Yeah. Um, and so then we, we kind of much to our chagrin delight, I don't know, uh, outrage this year, they had two colors of the year, right? Yes. And so, uh, in response, we started doing a color of the day and then I, it occurred to me that we were being a little hypocritical not to be doing two colors of the day because having, Ah! having the colors in context is kind of the whole point, right? That is the whole point. And so, um, so to that end, I actually made some art, um, and you, uh, everybody can view it. It's at objectcolor.com. So if you go to objectcolor.com, you will be immediately presented with my art. Um, and then also I have uh, the colors of the day. I just sent you a link in our, in our chat, in our mm, usual okay. energy chat, um, where All I can right. drop it in this chat if you're... Depending yeah, on let's see it. Um, so... Uh, Object objectcolor.com is the uh the current iteration of the uh the art art piece slash oh. it's a place where you can view colors of the day. Um you can share them with your friends, you can send them a link as long as you copy the full URL after you've generated the colors, then they will also see the same thing that you're seeing. Um excellent. Yeah. So I'm seeing I'm seeing <clears throat> a a very intense pink color called sensational deposition. Yes, and it's got a uh, complementary color, uh, intellectual dysphoria, which is a sort of green. So very tense green. Yeah. So we'll talk about sensational deposition first. So sensation, sensational deposition. The RGB values are two four five seven eight one four seven. So if you're kind of wanting to look this up yourself, um, I'll try to drop a link. The object color link. Um, we'll try to include that in the uh, in the show description. So you can click it for yourself. But uh, if not, you can just do a quick um, Google search for or, you know, plug into your favorite color renderer, uh, the RGB values, 2457847. So this, uh, now, yeah. Do Go you ahead. own objectcolor.com? Yeah, that would be uh, that would be under the auspices of the FCBM uh, oh. 
okay. Umbrella, yes. Is this, is this a new one? Because for people who don't know, Ned and I have sort of like a hoarding obsession with web dresses. Oh my God. No, I was, so I was working on this art piece and I was like, oh my God, I finally have a, something to do with this domain name that I have had for years. Um, bing, bing, bing. <laughs> I've had it for years. I'm just like, I'm going to do something with this someday. And so here I am, objectcolor.com. Uh, yeah. So, uh, anyway, um, there's not a lot going on there, but if you go there, you can, uh, you can view, uh, you can find your own colors of the day or you can find other color inspirations and names. Um, it's basically a color name generator. So it it generates a color and then assigns a random name to it. Um, it's so great. I've, I've tried to use, it's using, um, it seems to generate really great names, Yes. Like they're, almost they're always. Amazing. Yeah, they're kind of amazing. So anyway, let's talk about sensational de- deposition. Um, yes. Sensational deposition is the this sort of like it's a pink color. I don't know what you would how you would describe it otherwise. Like so when you get pink bubblegum gumballs out of like the machine that you put between yes. and turn the crank and it comes out the bottom yeah that's this pink color it's like this insane candy pink yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that's exactly how i would describe it so bright and then when you're looking at the intellectual dysphoria so the second color um to go along with this is the uh rgb values of 10 177 108 so that's our red 10 green 177 blue 108 um it's kind of a it's like a little bit of a faded green like it's not like a it's not like a kelly green like a bright kind of like jersey green or something like it's sort of a little bit lighter it looks like green that has started running with the wrong crowd and might turn to teal soon yes yeah that's that's a great great description of it um, like, have you been hanging out with those teal colors? You're looking a little teal today. Right. Like, it's it's definitely green, but it's green that's considering a move to blue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious, because I think maybe I'm, maybe I'm interpreting it this way because of the dysphoria part. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, these are brilliant. Uh, this is an outstanding use of a web domain. Yeah. So I, you get the prize for the day, best use of an existing web domain Thanks. for art Thanks. purposes. Yep. Excellent work. I'm going to click the generate colors button and see. Well, of course, they came up exactly the same because these are the colors of the day and today is still today. <laughs> of course. <laughs> But when the new colors come up for the next color of the day, yes, you're going to love them. Yeah, you're going to love them. Um, all right. Well, anyway, I don't know. Thanks for listening. It's another. Thanks for listening and paying attention to lady artists. And yeah. Artists who aren't men, even if they're not ladies. Even okay. if they're not ladies. Most Just... narrow persuasion. Right. Just pay attention to art. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do some art for yourself. I I love the idea of doing a um doing a series on on art as a coping mechanism. I'm really down yes. for that. <clears throat> I think this this could go in a lot of directions, man. Yeah, yeah, I think it could. Yeah, I mean, I I'm already going in the direction of like, uh, if people are using art as a coping mechanism, is it like how morally reprehensible is it to in like make them codependent so that they keep producing art that you like? I, I that sounds like a whole can of worms. I mean, right? Well, you would know. You're the ethicist. I don't I th- know anything. <laughs> we should discuss it, though. We should. So, yeah, I have it written down. We'll do a series on this. This will be great. Fantastic. This is so Woo! great. All right. Well, I guess that's all we got. You got anything else to add to the? No, I I think that's it. Oh, um, I'll just uh, in case anybody wants to go Google from straight from here, um. Yayoi Kusama's name is spelled Y-A-Y-O-I, last name Kusama, K-U-S-A-M-A. 
And she's a, a Japanese lady who always has a bobbed haircut in a very bright color usually. Yeah. I mean, once you see pictures of her, she's very iconic now. Yes. Um, You'll be like, I know her. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And her work does not resemble Jackson Pollock. It resembles herself, which is nothing like Jackson Pollock. And he came later anyway. Yep. Later. Just not going to let that go. Nope. That's Um, fine. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks, everybody. Okay.